1: Welcome back, Tiger Fans, to Rock'im Nations Football Podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Parker Gillum. And this is before the box score. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's uh it's a non-BK version. So if you only listen to this show for that, well, bye. Uh he's not here. <laughs> <Later>. <laughs> he is uh he is getting ready for his wedding this weekend, and so he we have relieved him of podcasting duties, and we brought in our young beat writer to share his insights with you all. Parker, how you doing, man?
2: Doing good. I mean, first off, I didn't realize that's why I wasn't here. Congratulations to BK if he is listening. Um, but no, I'm doing good. Ready to, uh, you know, I didn't think I'd be sitting here talking uh, about a bowl game this season, so I am more than, uh, more than excited. That's for sure. Parker
1: is a trooper because not only is he stepping in for BK, not only is he pitching in literally the day before we record, he's also doing this during finals week. So uh, all the gold stars. To our young beat writer here, thank you for jumping in, and we can't wait to hear your opinions on the football team. Let's start with, you know what? Let's start with the bad. Why not? Um, or at the least, <laughs> the perceived bad. Missouri, uh, we've we've gone through some attrition on the roster, and we are going through some attrition on the uh, the coaching roster as well. Um, Mr. Casey Woods. Left for SMU. Sounds like he got a promotion to offensive coordinator. Um, Rhett Lashley is the new head coach in Dallas. Well, SMU Dallas. Um, man, those Arkansas State boys, they stay tight. Uh, they've worked together at uh, for the Red Wolves, just like Eli Drinkwitz did. And I guess Casey was Rhett's first call uh, to be OC, so... My personal favorite coach on the staff is no longer here. He was the uh, apparently the social chair of the of the coaches, and uh, also the recruiting coordinator and tight ends coach. And now he gets the bump up to OC. So, Parker, big deal, little deal, and are you going to miss him?
2: Um. Well, I mean, you know, based on recruiting success so far, I you know think we will miss him unless you know it just continues to be the exact same. But, um, I. I'm uncertain at this point because, you know, a lot of people, their initial reaction was, you know, all right, is the recruiting just going to take a massive dip? Maybe he was really just, you know, shouldering the load with all these, you know, you know, because these are some of the best recruiting class Mizzou has had, you know, since the turn of the century. And, um, you know, a lot of people are concerned that it may have been, you know, all up to you know Casey, but it'll be up to Drinkwitz to kind of make a find the right guy to be that new coordinator, but then b, um, you know, prove that, you know, at the end of the day, Drinkwitz is the one that's, you know, come in and change this and been the one that's been bringing in these five stars and stuff. I, I think it's more an opportunity for Drinkwitz to prove himself in that regard. Um, I mean, I think he'll be missed. I think, you know, it's hard to argue that he was not successful at what he had been doing so far, just based on you know the classes that he was pulling, um, you know. And I, I think another thing that was potentially a little bit overlooked was the transfers uh, that we saw for the tight ends after he left. Mm-hmm. I think he did mean a lot to that position group. I think you know that's a, it's a safe assumption based on that that he was probably one of the more favored coaches on the staff. So. I do think, yeah, a, a bad loss. Is it backbreaking at all? No. Is it, you know, something you can recover from, you know, fairly quickly with the right hire? Yes. So, I mean, that I just think it puts more on drinkwoods, find the right guy and you know pick up the slack in recruiting potentially. Um, but that's that's all I really see from it. Sure.
1: I mean, you know, Casey has a lot of experience of building rosters. He he was a recruiting coordinator down at UAB uh, in, in Birmingham, and those teams. Really, were able to wring blood out of stone. They found some some great diamonds in the rough. Those Blazer teams are really freaking good. Uh, a lot of them have gone on to the NFL. So, like the the success speaks for itself. That's why I was so excited uh, to hear that he was going to be joining the staff, especially as a recruiting coordinator, just because he had to build a roster from scratch um, with with that with that coaching staff. And and he so he's had really tough builds and he comes into missouri and i was thinking okay yeah he's gonna keep up the find the overlook two and three stars and we're gonna build them up it's gonna be great and no man like game busters drink with staff brings in four stars they bring in five stars and it's this is like Oh, okay i didn't realize we could do that right i yeah huh? i i just i loved what casey woods did but what does a recruiting coordinator do in general they are the connected guys. They're the ones that know the high school coaches. If you walk up to them and, and say, hey, this kid from the 2023 class, who's his coach? He'll tell you the, his coach's name, his position coach's name. He'll have their number in his phone. And he said, yeah, we texted last night. Like, that's kind of what the recruiting coordinator does. Um, for, your, for your visits, usually he's the point guy, either like to greet you or to walk you through the campus. So like, it's not like this staff said, okay, Casey, go. And then he, he put all this stuff together. Like every coach has to recruit. That's if you want to be in college football coaching that you have to recruit, but he was the one that kind of organized everything and was, and had a lot of touch points with these kids. So that sucks. His tight ends were pretty good. Uh, obviously Nico Hay has developed into a pretty decent pass catcher, but Messiah Swinson and DPJ pretty good blockers too. Obviously we got Ryan horse camp, the horse BK's favorite, um, so. so, like, it is going to be curious to see what the tight ends do from here, Um, especially think of uh, Brett Norfleet, the four-star tight end who committed for the 2023 class. I don't know if that's going to affect his recruitment at all, but any loss from this staff is, you know, it sucks. But at the same time, Drinkwitz is your pitch guy. Like, he is a salesman. He surrounds himself with a good blend of tacticians and salesmen, and I feel pretty good that he's got a couple names in mind that he'd like to fill that utility coach slash recruiting coordinator slot. And right now I trust him to make the right hire there.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I think, and you mentioned, uh, you know, how he had, what he'd done at UAB and then coming to Mizzou, it seems like, you know, he almost got, you know, maybe just slightly, I won't say slightly, SEC school, he got way more resources at Mizzou. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people were thinking, like, as you said, the diamond in the rough type guy, no, when he got those resources, he got five stars. So now, I mean, as a quick side note. I'm wondering what he's going to go do at SMU mm-hmm. in the heart, heart of Texas, mm-hmm. where he's going to just have, you know, gems everywhere, I think. You know, that, I mean, that, that might prove to be one of the best, you know, one of the better hires of the offseason if he can really recruit hard for SMU. But, um, I mean, yeah, from the Mizzou perspective, I I agree. I mean, it's it's up to drink wins. I think he's proven so far that he is an adept recruiter. I would – I don't – I I – would maybe make the bold claim that it is his strength as a coach. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people would probably argue his offensive mind as well, but I think so far at least um, he's consistently been, you know, to be in the middle of the pack um, with the recruiting class in the SEC at Missouri is a feat that really should be talked about more. Um, Because, I mean, let's be real, Mizzou probably belongs in comparison with all the other teams, you know, in that 10, 11, 12 mark Mm -hmm. um, in terms of their classes each year. But, so I, I do as well. I have confidence in Drinkwitz. I mean, yeah, I do think it comes down to the guy that he gets there. Um, you know, if he can I just you would hope that there would not be a steep drop off at the recruiting coordinator position. Um would probably be the only thing that could uh throw some things haywire. But no, I, I do not worry too much about this, but I mean only only time will tell. Mm-hmm. I think I, I will be interested to see if there are any, you know, many decommits or some guys that maybe reopen recruitment. Um, mm-hmm. And Jesse it seems like so far it hasn't been anything too damaging, so I think that's a telling sign that he was not, you know, the the selling point for a lot of these kids.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, as far as your point to Eli, uh, Eli Drinkwood's strength, I I agree. I think his recruiting is the strength. Uh, everyone's show is is somebody's first, and and if you haven't listened to prior episodes, I've said before that. I am trending towards not uh, enjoying the drinkwitz offense as much. Uh we'll we'll see what he can do with uh, some shiny 4 and 5 star toys to play with. But for over, after 2 years, I would absolutely say his number one strength is his his he's a pitchman. He's he's the he's the salesman who can get you uh get you what you want, get you what he wants and and he can he can pitch pretty much anything. Um Barry was a tactician, Barry was a football coach. Eli is a is a salesman. And yeah, I would almost
2: (laughs) I would almost liken him maybe a little bit to a guy that just moved from Oregon to Miami. Well, I mean, been pulling in incredible recruiting classes, but, you know, his on field product, you know, he's an offensive line guy. He's a defensive guy, but his on field product hadn't really lived up to it yet. But he was a stud recruiter. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I think there are some coaches there that that, that's just their strength. And maybe, you know, the X's and O's on field, they need their coordinators to take over that. um, So. I still think Drinkwitz is always going to have a hand in the offense. He's oh, never going to let for sure. Go, but, yeah. um, you know, maybe maybe down the line, delegating a bit more and, you know, really cracking down on recruiting. And potentially this move makes Drinkwitz kind of, you know, shift towards more of a recruiting focus mm. um, is a change we might see. Uh, maybe he goes a little bit more hands-off with the actual personnel. Yeah. Um, could be a possible effect.
1: Could be. I mean, you know, he's always going to be the closer, I feel like. Um so that's that's always gonna be part of it. I know the Pac-12 hated hated Mario Cristobal at Oregon. They yeah. they hated the fact that he brought SEC recruiting to the Pac-12. And uh, yeah.
2: I mean, he was he was robbing from UCLA from California kids. He was going down to Florida, mm-hmm. getting kids. like, mm-hmm. and it's those. I mean, that and that's the reality of recruiting nowadays. Mm-hmm. Is you got to be national. You cannot just stick to your region because right. you're gonna have big schools that are coming to your region and picking all the, you know, best prospects out of there. So mm-hmm. I think that's what Drinkwits has kind of had to fight off so far with the state of Missouri, especially St. Louis um, is, you know, the Ohio States and the Alabama is trying to come up in there and get the five stars. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, Luther Burden was one of a big example of them being able to keep a kid home. And you know, if that continues to hold true. There's a decent enough talent pool here for, um, you know, them to build a quality roster just off the guys in the Midwest. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So We'll we'll see what happens. I mean, he might just hire a a tight ends coach and and switch recruiting coordinator to uh, an existing assistant. Uh, typically, you see recruiting coordinators. Usually, that is their strength, their position coach. <laughs> Acumen is kind of secondary. That's why you usually see like running backs coaches or defensive backs coaches uh, also split titles with recruiting coordinator because it's like yeah, I mean, you can coach that position, but what we really need you to do is yeah. recruit. So, um. I don't know. I mean, tight end tends to fall into that, that situation as well. We'll see what happens. Um, I know Curtis Luper a hell of a recruiter on his own. Charlie Harbison has done a lot of good work. Maybe it switches to them, but point is, uh, you want a good blend of tactics, tacticians and salesmen. And I don't know what he's looking for. Um, if he is looking to replace a tight end coach or just, you know, kind of shuffle dudes around and bring in a different type of position coach. But, uh, it sounds like that's not going to be decided until after their bowl game. Uh, so the, Coaching staff that they have in place right now is the one that they're going to go in with uh, to the game with. So we will find out as soon as that game completes uh, who's going to replace uh, Coach Woods. Uh, but going from recruiting to uh, existing players, or graduating players, we should say uh, at least two of them. We've got Missouri's got three first-team All-SEC players: Tyler Beatty, obviously, Mike Myetty, which a little surprising, yeah. certainly deserved, yeah. but a little surprising. And then our dearly beloved big ass thicker. Uh, all three are first team all SEC performers, which is tremendous. Um, so I mean, I don't know, Parker. This kind of seems like a no a no-brainer for Tyler and certainly for Harrison Meavus, but uh what'd you think of Mr. Myetti making it into uh first team all SEC there?
2: Yeah, I I mean I was you know, pleasantly surprised. I thought. I mean, yeah, I had been, especially as the season went on, I kept hearing more and more. You know, nationally about him, especially you know on an NFL draft standpoint. Um, you know, I, I kept seeing him in articles and stuff, and I was like, yeah, I mean, he's starting to get this attention. Uh, but I mean, first team, I I didn't think. I mean, generally because I mean, I'll be honest, the SEC tends to be, I mean, rightfully so, fairly Georgia, Alabama, Florida biased, and you know that first team is usually pretty chock full of them. So for them to take notice of six and six Missouri center that's you know that's great and I think I mean I'm really happy for him after you know all the years he had at Rutgers and then to come here and you know he's been in college football for as long as you know Perry Ellis was at Kansas I mean he's he's been through it so for him to end off his career like this that's just awesome I think that's you know a storybook ending to a long career that's for sure I
1: I am I am beyond excited for for Jersey Mike same like you said, Rutgers, bad teams, best player on a terrible team. Yeah. <laughs> and he comes to Missouri because he wants to, you know, play, play good games, play good competition. And last year, the bowl was taken away from him. So um, I'm, I'm glad he gets the bowl game and I'm glad. Yeah, I'm with you. He, he's, he's getting honored and like, there are, there are way better offensive lines in the sec. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> That's for sure. and, you know, Missouri is kind of scuffled towards the end. Obviously part of that was, was injury, but I mean, the thing you notice about Mike in particular is is certainly his run blocking. And go talk to Aaron or go scroll through Aaron Dryden's Twitter feed. He talks about his hips all the time. He is very quick to get his hands on someone flip and then hold him in place yep. and that I, I i never played offensive line but i know that is hard to do so he is very much a, a technician at the craft apparently that was good enough um he is actually missouri's first offensive lineman on the first team all sec since when do you know parker Oof. um
2: let's see i mean if i had to take my best guess i would say it would probably be one of the members of some of the best teams so i would assume 2013 or 14 as to who, I do not have a guess, unfortunately.
1: Well, this is actually surprised me because I forgot too. Um, you are right. I mean, obviously in in 2013, well, actually 2013 didn't have an offensive lineman. The last offensive lineman who was first team all SEC was Trevor Wallace Sims from the 2018 team. No. Uh, he was first team as an offensive guard, uh, the East St. Louis product. So it hasn't been that long since Missouri's had an offensive line, um, first team all sec here but there haven't been a lot. Yes, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, congrats to Mike there. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as running back and kicker, like, again, we're the wrong people to ask, but it had to be Tyler Beatty and Harrison Mears. Yeah. Like, I can't you can't come up with an excuse for anybody else, right?
2: Yeah. Like I would like to be a little more biased also and say that me, not, uh, not being a finalist for the Lou Groza award is blasphemous. Um, I understand <laughs> yes. that the other three, I, I know all of them, they were, they're very good kickers, but the things that he did, I mean, I, I think you can't have a bigger, like quote unquote, like Heisman moment as a kicker than the 56 yarder to tie the game against Boston college. Like, I think people should just watch that and then look at the stats and be like, "All right, this guy deserves it." But anyways, first team All SEC is a nice consolation prize. Um, you know, I I think he he probably won it unless he had some monumental collapse. He won it like halfway through the season. I I don't think there are really any other any other guys that were near his level. Um, and then as for Beatty, I mean, yeah, I think this is similar to my Eddie. I mean, Beatty's a guy that's I and I've talked about and wrote a lot about it this year. He was a rare guy in college football that waited his turn, didn't transfer away. He was behind, um, you know, Larry Roundtree for three-odd years. And, you know, he could have gone somewhere else, probably started and potentially already <clears throat> been in the NFL by this point, stuck it out at the place that he was passionate about, became a leader of this team this year, answered all the questions people had about him in the offseason, about durability, et cetera. And his product on the field has just been, I mean, it's he's the one guy in on this team that you have looked at with Nevis, I would say um that you have looked at every game and you're like i know that he is going to ball out today and you know if he doesn't it's because the other team is just crazy good and takes him completely out of the game um and so i mean i think he i think he was the most deserving out of anybody on the team just because he he was the mvp he was the most valuable player game in game out and that's what this award should really be for
1: yeah, I, whether it's best player by stats or best player by value, I mean, he was both. Tyler Beatty's the answer, <laughs> no matter what. So, uh, I'm with you on that. Uh, brief transition, slightly same topic. Missouri is in a bowl game. We we have just realized that we've been in a bowl game since we beat Florida. Yeah, they're playing Army in the Armed Forces Bowl, and the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that Tyler Beatty is going to play in this game. BK and I have both been on the record for the past couple weeks in that if we were his agent or someone who loved him, they would say, Tyler, do not play in this game. <laughs> you are, you can be a professional. Please save yourself. Focus on the NFL. Make that money. But apparently, he is going to play in this game. How does that make you feel, Parker?
2: I, I think I do... I think I understand why I think, you know, been here four years, loves this place. I think he wouldn't want to finish it out just by skipping the bowl game that this team's worked really hard to get to. So I can understand why sure. and how he would probably, you know, to the people that were telling him, no, he's probably like, no, I have to play this game on the flip side, his position. He's a running back. We've seen it in the NFL a lot this season. We've seen it in college many years. It's not the most durable position. Any one game can change your career. And that's the unfortunate reality. And that's what you got to worry about. He's proven this season. I mean, he's, I mean, he's been banged up a little bit sometimes, but he's he hasn't missed a game and he's rarely missed snaps. So I, I, I would like to. I mean, I'll knock on wood. I would like to say he's a very durable guy and I trust him not to get hurt in the last game. However, Army is a very physical team. It's going to be you know a very slow paced, um, you know, run the ball kind of game. So he's going to probably get a lot of touches if he does play um unless now the other thing is drinkwoods maybe they work something out where he's like all right baby you've got uh 20 touches today max and then you're done mm-hmm. um you know potentially that's an option as well and they work that out so but yeah a little worried because i mean he's he's the type of guy that you want him to have a great future he deserves to be in the draft he's gonna be i haven't looked at many projections for him so far i could see him as a mid-round pick though a qual- very quality mid-round pick and um you know used in the right offense i think he'd be great. But as for this ballgame, you know, he'll run for 200. Let's just hope he stays healthy. That's, that's
1: the key. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he's used. I don't, I don't, man, I don't know if you use a pitch count. And this kind of leads to my next topic. Drinkwood said, oh, one of his conferences, that the quarterback position was open. There's an open competition for Connor Baselag, for Brady Cook, for Tyler Macon at the quarterback position for this bowl game. That tells me that he feels like he is seeing this as an opportunity, uh, certainly in the practices, maybe in the game to test the younger guys and see what they can do, which I wholeheartedly agree. (laughs) I thought this entire season (laughs) should be that, but you know, what do I know? Um, So that is good. I, It leads me to believe that maybe Beatty will be on a pitch count because you do have Elijah Young. You do have BJ Harris, you do have Michael Cox. And somewhere floating on the bench is Taj Butts. Allegedly, he's still on the team. I'm sure he is, but we haven't seen him, we haven't seen him anywhere near the field. So like you have a lot of young running backs. You have another young running back coming in. You're looking at a couple of transfers, yes, but like Beatty ain't gonna be here next year. This is a great time to see what the other guys can bring. So that leads me to think that Beatty will be limited a little bit. Uh, do you foresee kind of a running back by committee approach? If you were Drinkwits, would you use that against this Army team? I, I would,
2: um, you know, especially the one thing I will say, and we'll get into it a little bit later, I presume, but just with Army's play style, the amount of times you get the ball and the amount of time possession you have, probably not going to be a lot. So, you know, at the end of the day, 80 might – just be on like a quote unquote pitch count purely because they don't get the ball that much. But um, so, you know, maybe that gives them less opportunity to play some of the younger guys. I do hope they do because I think for a program, especially like Mizzou, that is in a, a rebuild, building up a roster and a culture, there's a reason getting to a bowl game is so big and they wanted those six wins so bad because, you know, these practices before the bowl game, I mean, we're going to have essentially a mini. Uh, like you know, a traditional sort of like fall camp quarterback competition in these couple weeks before the bowl, uh, which will be great. I think mm-hmm. that'll make all three quarterbacks better. Um, and this, I mean, yes, and bowls are just they're the biggest opportunity for younger guys to get to get themselves some film, um, heading into the off season. So, I mean, I think, I think that will more than likely be Drinkwood's biggest focus is to you know start to look a little bit more long term with these younger guys during these practices and then potentially during the game, um. But you do. I mean, you do also want to end out above five hundred. Um, you know, I think the momentum from a bowl win you see it with a lot of teams can also carry on into the off season and the next season. So I think you know a successful bowl game in um, which you play a, a good game and you win that can go very far for a team uh, in the situation that the in. So I don't. I don't know because mm-hmm. I mean, yes, long term they probably should play a lot of the younger guys. But Army is an opponent that if you play some of these younger guys. And you're not prepared, you can get run out of the run off the field, and you know, especially with teams that have run the ball in Mizzou, we've seen that happen a couple of times, yeah. albeit way earlier. Um, so I think it's gonna have to be a balancing act. It's not gonna be not gonna be easy for Drinkwitz. I don't think.
1: No, definitely not. And uh, you know, he's a competitive guy. He wants to win. I believe he gets bonuses tied to winning old games and finishing over 500. So like, he's got a financial a, incentive to do well. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which leads me to my next point. Uh, Parker, this this quarterback battle that's going on, uh, allegedly, in these next couple of weeks, Connor Bazelock's going to win, isn't he?
2: Yeah, I mean, the trends of the season say so. Because I think, you know, the fact that after that Georgia game, he went immediately back to Bazelock without hesitation, that was very telling. Um, you know, I think unless yeah, unless making or cook really show out, show him something completely new. Um, over these next couple of weeks, he'll probably stick with Basilek for this ball game, the experienced guy that he, you know, and he said it multiple times. I'm gonna play the guy that I think gives us the best chance to win. And if he thinks Basilek's gonna make less mistakes or you know make enough throws, then that's who he's gonna go with. You know, regardless if the fans you know debate him into a, a wall uh, like they've done for the past half of the season. Mm-hmm in my eyes I I really think you know seeing macon on the field against Georgia honestly looked very composed for being so young really gave that vaunted defense a lot of trouble with his legs. I would love to see him have you know at least like half a game to himself to see what he's really about. I just feel like I got a little taste of him and I feel like the same with Cook um you know he went I believe it was like 14 of 19 in that game against UGA which just I, I referenced that a lot just because going into that atmosphere them to you know their first starts of the season and them you know playing very solid games i i've been impressed with ever since um so i i think both of them deserve shots um you know i think i think regardless if Mizzou gets up big or down big you're going to probably see all three of them mm-hmm. but bayslex at least probably going to get the first couple of drives and then you know i mean that's the other thing even when bayslex you know throws a couple of interceptions early on like he has a couple times this season Drinks still stuck with them, mm-hmm. so I don't even know if that's gonna be the thing that gets them into the game To be honest yeah
1: well i'll I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this is not gonna be a blowout <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, i went I went through armies all of armies post game appearances since 2000. There's not a lot. They they haven't been super great for oh. super long, but uh, Jeff Munkin certainly has them in the right direction. Uh they've played in bowl games 2010. Well, I mean that was that was the old guy Rich Ellerson. Uh but 2010, 2016, 2017, 2018 and 2020 were their bowl games. Other than the surprise ass-kicking of a checked-out Houston when they won 70 to 14, yeah.
0: That was wild. That was an awesome
1: game. But uh other than that <laughs> one, every army bowl game has been within one score. Uh one of them went to yeah. overtime. Um, but the the trends are very, very apparent. Army runs for over two hundred yards on your ass, they throw for a handful of yards, and it ends up you know, sixteen fourteen or thirty-eight thirty-one or forty-two thirty-five or you know, twenty-four-twenty-one. Yep. And it's like, well, get, that's it. Army shrinks the game down. They take forever to move. They play a completely strangulating defense that completely wipes out the run, makes you pass, and you got you got ten possessions to figure it out. Good luck. Yep. Um it's it's bad. It's uncomfortable.
2: I would have paid paid money to be a fly on the wall when that bull game got announced and be a fly on the wall in the room with Drinkwoods Cause I, I just guarantee you that he just groaned internally, put his face in his hands because when you play army or or Navy or air force or any triple option team, it is immediately, it is not a normal football game. Every game that you've played up until this point, it is not going to be, you know, remotely like that just because of the time possession, the amount of times you're going to have the ball and what your defense is going to have to go through. Like I, Like, I, as a quick side note, like, I, Tennessee, I, I grew up a Tennessee fan. My family both went to Tennessee. I know Gasp, um, but I've been more than happy to replace them with Mizzou um, up until this year. But, anyways, I went and watched them play Georgia Tech one year. Mm -hmm. And just watching that entire game, I could just see, like, personally, as a fan, it was annoying, but I could see the players and the coaches and then seeing their reactions after the game, just how annoying the triple option is because you see it every play they change it up maybe slightly every couple times but you have to be so disciplined and so you have to be very prepared. I think the games are usually very close because teams are prepared for the triple option. Houston clearly was not prepared to do it and they got ran off the field. So I think it just it's going to take preparation, you know, commitment from this defense which has had a great turnaround. I think unfortunately the run defense which has really turned it around their numbers are going to take another hit in this game mm-hmm. and people are probably going to be like, Oh, the run defense again, but we're, we're playing Army; It's, it's going to happen. Um, I just think with them, keep, keep the big plays to a minimum. Don't allow them to break off any big runs. Um, and then you gotta, gotta get them off the field on third down. Mm-hmm. Can't let them string together, you know, nine, 10, 11, 12 play drives that take up, you know, four or five a pop. Uh, cause I mean, that's how you lose 24, 21. Um, so I think, yeah, it, it comes down to the preparation, the heart of this defense, and then can the offense, when they get their opportunities, they got to make the most of
1: them. I mean, you thought our linebackers were out of position at the beginning of the year. That's, that's what a triple option team does to you. It makes you be out of position. It it makes you make uh, the wrong If we were route. playing
2: Army, if we were playing them like week four or five, I mean, they might go for like 500 <laughs> yards. I mean, Tennessee went for 360. six. Yeah. They didn't even run the ball all that much this season. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I am very eager to see how this re, revamped, reenergized defense how they go into this game. Um, and I think, and it'll, I think it'll dictate, you know, kind of the the mindset around Wilkes um, mm-hmm. going into the offseason. You know, if he can successfully, you know, take on the triple option and you know defeat it, I, you know, that's something a lot of defensive coordinators can't say they can
0: do.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, I eight, eight teams on Army schedule couldn't do it. That's for sure. Yeah. Um. it's
1: it's frustrating because you don't have a lot of time of possession uh you don't have many possessions in general and then it takes forever to get them off the field the defense is annoying i uh when i was in i was junior high so eighth and ninth grade our offense was triple option based and i was i played quarterback and i played tight end and i'm telling you if you have if it when it works even i can play quarterback and look like an all-star uh in the triple option because it's it's making people make the wrong the wrong moves. Uh Aaron talked about this in his piece and I'm glad he brought it up. I think he was talking about it on Twitter too, when he broke down Army style. The cut block. Are you familiar with this, Parker? Yeah. Do you know what that is? Yes. Mm-hmm. What what is the cut what is the, the cut of, block? What is that?
2: I mean the bane of every defensive lineman's life, but I mean it is essentially, you know, army gets lower than you they get into your legs and then they get you on the ground mm-hmm. and then they run right by you and it's and it happens at borderline legally illegally it happens at every level of the defense i mean their offensive line i mean you're in and you're out they they've perfected it yeah i mean yeah that's every defensive lineman hates it because i mean injury wise it's very risky for them mm-hmm. um, to start but then also it's just you know every possession you know you're not getting your hands on a guy you've got to avoid him going for your knee. yeah so
1: the key is to engage first so the offensive line or the tight end hits you with their hands and then goes low. And like when Missouri played Navy in 2009 Texas Bowl, I was on the sideline because I was in the band and I got to be behind them during when they were getting ready, ready to go off the halftime. And a player that will go unnamed said said some choice words about their offensive line. But the, the point of the matter is like, I'm getting ready for the NFL and these guys are trying to ruin my career. Yeah. And yes, yes, that's what they're trying to do. You engage high, you hit low and you take the legs out from under them. And because that engagement starts high, it's technically legal. Um but even on the sides, like the receivers and the tight ends, they are looking for kind of I mean they 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 flag against this now, but kind of blindside blocks where you you as a defender are running towards the motion of the offense and there's a receiver or a tight end who's there to block you into the ground and you don't see it because your eyes are on the ball and you're trying to make sure that you're keeping track of where everything's moving. So it is, it is no fun. It is zero fun and defensive linemen. They need to, they need to absorb that block and then they need to smash down on their back. And then you get to look up and see where the ball's going. And usually at that point, the fullback is rumbling right by you. So it is, it is the most annoying thing to go against exactly like you said, these guys, you know, Wilkes doesn't have a whole lot of experience coaching against the triple option. So it's going to be really interesting to see how he does this. This team itself has not played a triple option team. The good news is that the triple has evolved into kind of RPOs. That's what it is. Less cut blocking, but essentially that's what it is. So it's not a completely foreign concept. You're not, you know, speaking English and going in, you know, and now you're trying to speak Vietnamese. You are speaking English and then, you know, you are going to another one What? Uh Let's say German. Right, I don't, another Latin-based language. Yeah, yeah, let's say let's say French, right? Like we're like, oh, okay, yep. I kind of recognize that word. Um, so you kind of have to yep. like just adapt a little bit. Um, but they don't throw. And I think one of the big things is yep. that our corners and our safeties have a ton of experience defending the run this year. So I feel good Martez, about
2: Martez Manuel. Yeah,
1: that dude, like
2: he's gonna have a day.
1: I, I am not concerned about our corners or our safeties being able to tackle. I'm just concerned how many yards it's going to take before they make the tackle uh, because yeah. Army just, you know, three yards, four yards, yeah. three yards, four yards, and then they break one. So um, I think kind of regardless, this team's this game is going to be no, no fun to watch. Agree?
2: No. Yeah, that's why I, it was kind of funny, you know, being around campus when that game came out and. Um, talking to people about it because, you know, beforehand, a lot of people like I'm using a bowl game. Let's totally go to it. And, you know, then it came up. We're playing Army in the, you know, in Fort Worth, Texas. And everybody was like, well, maybe not. That doesn't sound like it's going to be all that entertaining. So, but yeah, I think it's, you know, and I almost think one of the worst parts of it is, yes, Army would take, you know, a 75 yard touchdown run. But the goal with all those cut blocks and the triple option, it's to get four yards, five yards. Mm-hmm. It's all, that's all they want. And it can be, you can think that you win on first down and force a second and six, but they're going to get to third and two and then they're going to convert and they're just going to keep mm-hmm. doing it unless you can get them behind the sticks or get them like under that three-yard mark. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's 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 truly, uh, the, the cliche goes, it's a game of inches. This is, I mean, with the triple option, it's a game of, you know, a couple yards, you know, one or two yards here and there. Can you win? Force a couple punts. Um, you know, that's that's the end goal. So we, we shall see.
1: I mean, the bad news is that Army has beaten way better teams than Missouri in their bowl games. And yeah. ask SMU, ask San Diego State, ask Houston. Like, <laughs> they got destroyed. The good news is that Army has never beaten a Power 5 opponent in a bowl game. Now, they've only played one and that was West Virginia last year, so take that for whatever you will. Um, But Missouri has not had great success against the Triple, especially in the postseason. Granted, that was two regimes ago, so again, take that for what it's worth. Um, But you got two weeks. You got a coaching staff that's certainly motivated to make some money and win this game. You got Tyler freaking Beatty. who really wants to win this game, and he's got a team around him who probably doesn't want to let him down, so you can count all the intangibles up and hope that it amounts to something. Um, we will cover the game, but I'm telling you, just like it's it's going to be uncomfortable, and I don't think anyone's Mm going to have any fun. So
2: yeah, you got any you got any potential early early predictions or thoughts on how you think it's going to go?
1: Oh, I mean, yes.
2: I I I always love predictions. I come on here and really make you make some picks.
1: I I think both offenses are going to score, flat out. Um. It depends on the quarterback, obviously. But let's just say the starting lineup stays the same for Missouri. I think that the fact that Army is really good at run defense and terrible at pass de- defense, and even though even if it's Basilac or Macon, I think these receivers are going to find some separation that they haven't seen before. Give me Missouri... Th- 31 and army 28 oh,
2: I like it i really i really put you on the spot with that one but uh <laughs> yeah i i mostly agree because i it was interesting i was looking through army's you know schedule because i i had paid i had paid attention to them in a couple of games but you know not in how their season overall had gone and looking at their losses i mean it's one of which is ball state which is you know a, kind of a red flag but then on the road to Wisconsin, six-point loss. And then, you know, at home against mm-hmm. Wake Forest, they lose in a 70-56, to 56, you know, yeah. crazy shootout. So, mm-hmm. they've played two quality Power 5 opponents this season, but they have not beat either of them. So, that makes you wonder. Um, they beat a quality Liberty Liberty team at the end of the year. I personally, I, when this game came out, I was on Army. But the more I've thought about it, just the trajectory that this run defense has taken, I I'm going to believe in them. I think they I think they've just become, you know, a salty unit that, you know, they know they're not the most talented, but I think the effort level has raised and I think they are more comfortable in Wilkes' system now to where they can, you know, hold their own in this game. I think a similar score line, maybe something like 27-24, Missouri comes out on top. Um, you know, I picture a perfect ending if it if it's a Meavis game winning field goal to end <laughs> off the season. There I you think go. that would be just incredible.
1: Yeah. Damn, that'd be awesome! walk-off-the-game, walk-off-the-season. Yeah, that'd exactly. be great. Mm-hmm. Um, Army plays Navy this weekend, by the way. Um, yeah, so watch a, it. They got less watch time. It. Um, I, yeah. I would say don't take anything away from that game.
2: No, that's a very different game.
1: It is. Um, two triple-option teams. These staffs know each other really, really well. They both know how to defend the triple. Also, keep in mind, like Army Navy, they run things in the middle of the season to build off just a couple of plays in this game. Like mm-hmm. it is so much subterfuge, and just, just stacks on stacks on stacks of plays and deception. Like it is, it is always a rock fight, and there's really nothing you can learn. I remember 2009. I was watching with my roommate. Shout out Matt Stadler. We were watching mm-hmm. Army Navy because we knew that we were playing Navy in the bowl game. And he turns to me and goes, we can't lose to this team. Can we <laughs> and like, I was like, dude, don't, don't, don't take anything from this game seriously. Cause this, this is just a different kind of game. These, these, these teams always get overlooked and they always win more games than they should. So just yeah. watch army Navy. Cause it's fun for the pageantry and like the tradition, but like, don't look at it and think that Missouri's going to whip that ass. Cause like that, that, that's never the case when you watch yeah, army Navy. Yeah. play.
2: Yeah, to be honest, they never, they never, I think it's both because, well, a lot of the times weather plays a big part in it, but I think sure. it's also both because, yeah. you know, the teams, A, know each other so well, but I think the they are just so, both teams are so locked in and just so mm-hmm. intense during that game that it is very hard to, like, look good offensively and have some flashy plays when just, you know, every guy is going all out. So, yeah, it's it's a very different type of game. Yeah, I think if you're going to watch Army film, watch the rest of their games this season, um, you know. I think their game with Wisconsin, it's probably going to be semi-similar to how the game with was, mm-hmm. where it's fairly semi-low scoring, comes down to the wire. Um, but, I mean, the other thing is, you know, Army is also riding a four-game winning streak coming uh, into the Navy game. They can make it five this weekend. So you're also yeah. dealing with a hot team is the other uh, mm-hmm. side of the coin.
1: Yeah. Well, we will have your coverage for you as we go through this week and next week. Obviously, next week is... It's early signing day. That's going to be taking up most of the oxygen, but we will have plenty of coverage about the bowl game. or everything coming up. Are you, are you going in that game, Parker?
2: I believe I will be, uh, visiting my grandparents in Tennessee that day. So, Okay. Grandparents, not Not a bowl
1: game. Okay. (laughs)
2: Doesn't. Yeah. Not the same, but (laughs) I will definitely be covering and watching it. So sure.
1: Sure. I I will be attentive. Very good. Well, to close this out, uh, it's it's been the topic of the of the week because of course it is. College football playoff has been decided. Um your top 4 in order number 1 Alabama, number 2 Michigan, number 3 Georgia, and then number 4 Cincinnati. And this is the first G5 team to make it into the playoff uh ever. It's the first G5 team to make it into what we'll call a uh, a championship national championship picture since ever. Um yep. and and it's kind of it's been interesting, kind of reading the reactions and and kind of gauging how Cincinnati got here. I want to start off with this Parker. and then we'll we'll kind of branch off from there. But did the playoff committee get it right?
2: Yes, I in the problem with the playoff, not the problem per se, but I think the thing that has plagued people, you know throughout its short history is, you know, do you value the eye test and how a team looks or do you value their resume? And so, you know, resume wise, a lot of people might look at Michigan deserving the number one spot. I'm here to tell you, you watch Alabama on the field right now. They're, they're ahead, heads and shoulders above anybody else. They deserve to be the number one team. Michigan has looked perhaps, you know, at their best, like the most complete team in the country, perfectly fine with them at number two. Um, I, 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 Agree with Georgia at three. I can definitely see a case for Cincinnati to move up there. The committee claims they don't, they didn't really care about a Bama Georgia rematch in the semifinals, but they definitely did. That's why. Was at three. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I, yes, I think the top four are perfectly right. I think in order, those are the best teams. I think, and we'll talk about a little bit. I think that's probably how it's going to play out in the semifinals uh, in that order as well. But um, yeah, I have no qualms about it. Uh, I, you know everything played out pretty. They got they had a pretty easy job this year based on how everything went on Championship mm-hmm. Saturday. A lot of other committees wish they could have had this easy of a decision, um, but yeah, I, they got it right this year. And you know I, I won't yell at them too much. The rest of the country does that <laughs> up already.
1: <laughs> I mean, I remember three or four weeks ago when you had Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, just all like right there, oh, the a yeah. blob, and everyone flipped out. And like, I, this is why I hate those reveal shows. Cause it's like, you don't need to update us week to week. They've got an entire season to go. And guess what? That fixed it. Fixed itself, right? Like yep. this is, the, yeah, it was, it's not an issue. The problem. The only, go ahead.
2: It didn't. Yeah. Or I was just going to say quickly, the the only two rankings that matter. The first one, cause it shows how much they value each team. And the last one, that's, that's it.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Otherwise you just let the schedule play itself out. This is the easiest call ever. And I I keep track of this and, and you know I like to keep track of record and quality wins and your losses and then your your versus teams with winning records. Like try and find what it is. Guys, this is this is really simple. There were five teams that had one loss and one team that was undefeated. And one of those teams had one losses, lost to the team that was undefeated. There you go.
2: Works works out perfectly.
1: It it is almost too perfect. <laughs> um whether Cincinnati gets in if oklahoma state's running back had arms that were six inches longer i don't know um what happens if alabama doesn't win beat georgia i don't know like those aren't problems that we're gonna have to deal with but it is worth kind of pointing out um i think the big talking point is cincinnati obviously as a g5 representative who will be i guess technically a power five team in a couple years when it joins the big 12 um but right now, they are not. The, the Herculean effort that Luke Fickle and that Cincinnati team had to do to get fourth in the playoff. They, okay, rewind the clock. In 20, 2019, they went 10 and three. They were ranked 21st in the last playoff poll. In 2020, the COVID shortened season, they went 9 and 0. And not only did they go 9-0, but they were ranked 8th in the playoff and then took Georgia to the limit. Georgia with a JT Daniels took them to the limit. Then they went undefeated this season, this season while being a Notre Dame team that only lost to them. While you had multiple Power 5 championship teams that lost two games and you had... Alabama beating undefeated Georgia like this is this is the amount of hurdles that they had to clear just to just to get fourth in the playoff and given the fact that expansion seems to be coming down the pipe I'm kind of thinking this might be the first and only G5 team to make it in the four-team playoff what say you
2: yeah, I think <laughs> this was the first year everything, you know, really, really felt right for a group of five team. Because you know, I think any other year Cincinnati would have picked up that win over Notre Dame and then Notre Dame would have blown it with like two other losses and it wouldn't <laughs> have been a
0: quality win anymore.
2: Yeah. Something along those lines. I think what Cincinnati's done and the group of five teams that have gone closest in the past, you know, even going back to the BCS era, Kellen Moore, Boise State. They only had a chance when they came into the season, respected and ranked highly, you know. And it was because they had done great work the year prior or the past year. UCF also the same thing in 2018; they were ranked high because they had fresh off going undefeated. People thought, all right, maybe they got a shot at the playoffs. Cincinnati, same deal. I think unfortunately for the Group of Five, it's not a one-year thing. It's it's a multi-year. Like you have to build up your reputation to be able to get into the playoffs. And Cincinnati did it perfectly. They put together two. Ten plus one seasons, took on quality opponents. Um, you know, luckily the American has been fairly strong for them recently to where it's mm-hmm. the best group of five conference and you can at least pick up some quality ranked wins um, in conference play. But yeah, I mean everything everything worked out for them. I I, you know, publicly past couple years and before this season was one of the biggest Desmond Ritter haters in the world. I, I did not <laughs> see him. I saw him as kind of a Spencer Sanders type where he can be mm-hmm. good, but he can't be great. He can't lead this team to, you know, the promised land that land that they foresee. He proved me wrong this year and now he's going to be a NFL draft pick. You know, he's had one of the best careers quarterback has ever had, you know, that Cincinnati and that conference. Um, so, I mean, he's really proved me wrong. And I think, you know, that team, I mean, it's a wonder Luke Fickle has not been scooped up yet. Cincinnati is doing something to keep him around because he is going to be gone soon. Some big program's going to pick him up, but I mean, yeah, they've they've and even to I mean they lost their defense coordinator before this year, uh, Marcus Freeman, head yeah. coach of Notre Dame. Now he's you know obviously valued as well and didn't miss a beat. Um, you know, I think another guy that deserves a lot of attention and um, is Ahmad Garner, their corner quarter, cornerback. You know, largely considered the best cornerback in the country. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I I am most excited of anything in the playoff. I'm excited to watch him go up against Alabama's Jameson Williams, because John mechie's not playing now. It's going to be you know arguably the best receiver versus arguably the best cornerback in the country. You know, head to head all game, and I think that's going to be one of the biggest things. And it's a testament to Fickle that he's now got guys that are going to be you know NFL draft picks first, second, third round maybe. Um, so I just think yeah, he's you know coach of the year, Luke Fickle. I would I would hope. Um, but there's there's plenty other candidates that are worthy.
1: Sure. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, Desmond Ritter, NFL guy. Jerome Ford, their running back, will probably get NFL buzz. Um, you think of, oh, I'm blanking on the kid's name. Is Pierce? Um, Alec 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 Pierce. Pierce I mean? Alec yeah. Pierce. Yes. Um, so I mean, look, they're not as deep as Alabama, but guess what? No other team in the country is as deep as Alabama. Okay. Yeah. The point is, is that they do have some studs at the key positions. I don't think they're going to win, but this isn't going to be, you know, I don't think they're going to, they're going to, they're not lacking for deserving to be there. They they have done everything that they should over the past really three years, technically two, uh, to get here. And they've got some stars and they're going to play in the NFL and they'll go up against almost a professional team. Sure. Um, but let's, let me ask you this, because I was. It's kind of debating this back and forth. It probably doesn't matter, especially with expansion coming down the pipe and just given how much the playoff committee hates G5 teams. Mm-hmm. Two-parter. Number one, if Cincinnati basically replicates last year and either Haynes close or beats Alabama, does that mean that the playoff committee is more willing to give G5s a shot? Slash, if they get blown out, is this it? And like, well, that was your one chance G5, No other, no other chances for you.
2: Yeah, that's, I mean, this, honestly, while you were speaking previously, this is kind of what I wanted to get into next is, you know, Cincinnati is representing the, the entire group of five with this game. And, you know, we've seen it. Look at Oklahoma and Notre Dame in the past. Their performance in the semifinals has created a reputation for them where people mm-hmm. do not want them in the playoff anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. If
2: Cincinnati goes out and and getting blown out by 30 against Alabama is nothing like really, you know, if they're playing their A-plus game, it's happening. But if you go out and get blown out, people are going to be like, all right, I think, yeah, that's going to be all right. That was your shot, you know, until some other team comes around and, you know, picks up a win like they did against Notre Dame. And, you know, puts together this type of season and all the chips fall how they did. I, I, I couldn't see it. And I, I don't know if I would blame them too much because Cincinnati, you look, at, you look at the talent level of this team, undefeated record. Are you really going to find another group of five team within the next four or five years that's going to be on this level? And, you know, if they're not, then it's a pretty safe bet. They're only going to lose by more. So mm-hmm. I think it's a lot's riding at it. You know, a lot of people I've heard talking about, you know, Bama, the one seed from the SEC, the favorite. They've got the most pressure since playing with, you know, house money. I don't think so. Just because I, you know, I think a lot of rides on their shoulders for this game. I think Luke Fickle's really out to prove something with this. I think it's partially the reason he stayed at Cincinnati is because mm-hmm. he, he wanted to prove that he didn't need to go to some big time power five program to do this. Um, so I mean, they'll in what's working in their favor, they're going to be America's team. I mean, they are <laughs> yeah. they are they're going to be the most cheered for team in the country for those you know three hours. Um, you know, the only Alabama's fans are going to be residing in that state. So. I, um yeah, I don't know. I do think, yeah, a lot of pressure is on them, but I hope they come out and just play free. Don't worry about any of that because if you come out against Alabama playing tight, they're going to they're gonna run you out of the gym because you know, mm-hmm. nobody prepares better than Nick Saban does for mm-hmm. games like these, which is, yeah you're already starting behind the eight ball, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> I am curious what happens to Fickle. Uh, he is an Ohio guy through and through. Um, if Ryan Day gets picked off by the NFL, you know, he'll go to Ohio State. Yeah. Um, I thought he might be in the running for Notre Dame, but apparently he told his agent and his camp, like, no, I am I am with Cincinnati through this season. I'm not talking to anybody until this thing is over. So, unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, I can't decide what. That doesn't leave him a lot of options. That leaves him uh, Florida International, <laughs> uh, Duke, uh, Temple, Fresno State, Virginia, uh, Oregon, and Nevada. And sure. I don't see him leaving the Midwest. Certainly, well, leaving Ohio probably not, but certainly not leaving the Midwest. So I kind of get in the feeling that unless Day leaves after you know NFL's Black Monday, like he might be in Cincinnati next year. How does how yeah. does that make you feel?
2: Which would be crazy. I mean, yeah, because it's, it's very rare that you see a group of five guys have the success and then stay at the school. I think it's just what's been so weird about this coaching cycle is you know. And I think it's just kind of a sign of the times. Now things are changing. But, I mean, the the these positions came up and immediately, I mean, LSU, Notre Dame, Florida, they went out and they scooped up guys immediately. They didn't wait till after mm-hmm. the season. It was, I mean, it was Billy Napier, you're at Florida, boom. Brian Kelly, you're at LSU. Lincoln Riley, you're out to LA. I mean, it was just, it was rapid fire to the point where it was just, I mean, it was a whirlwind. Oklahoma within 24 hours, I mean lost like half their recruiting class, and their head coach, mm-hmm. half their team, and like their coordinators, you know, and you know, similar stuff is happening in Oregon right now. So I think, yeah, luckily for Fickle, this was the type of year where it's like people weren't willing to wait on you till after the season. So he's kind of just stuck where he's at now. So I mean Yeah. That's how it worked out. And maybe that's just maybe it's destiny.
1: Could be. Um I mean I I I, I get the feeling that because he's going to have the you know, the the achievement of take G five to to a playoff, like kind of no matter what happens next year, or like an O and twelve season, like he's still gonna be a hot commodity next year, kind of no matter what happens. Yeah. So uh it's nice that he will kind of skip this cycle and, and probably get uh, first call at every single job next year. But yeah, you know, to your point, the the speed of which these jobs get filled, it's early signing day, man. Like yeah. if you gotta yeah. sign your class. December fourteenth, you can't wait till December eighth to fire your dude. <laughs> like yeah. you, you just you got to do it. You got to do what USC did, and like, all right, we're done. September fourteenth out, and then you know work work your work your agents, work your your search firm, and get Lincoln Riley on November twenty eighth. Give him two weeks to recruit. Yeah. Um, it's insanity, and but that's the way it is, and I think that's one of the big reasons. Um, Mark Emmert was talking to the the media today, which the big old stupid nerd douchebag. But he said that they are discussing rolling back the early signing period. And that is, that is a good thing. The entire thing. I said this on Twitter. It was, it was a good faith argument to allow kids who know that they're ready to be done with the recruiting period and not have to wait till freaking February feeling all those calls, let them commit, end it early Call it a day. Boom. Like that is a good reason. What happened, of course, is that coaches just made that the new signing day. Said, if you don't sign by December 14th, I'm not going to have a scholarship for you. Really hold their their feet to the fire. And, and so when you do that, then you just moved everything up, including when you fire your coach. If you can get rid of that or work it a little bit differently so that coaches can have two months to build a recruiting, uh, recruiting class together in December... You're, you're going to stop seeing these types of like, we're going to fire you September 6th and you're actually going to give them a shot and then people can play their bowl games or their playoff games or whatever. Because at, at this point, it seems just an unsustainable model for for actually caring about school, caring about the, the academics and not viewing this as just a business where college coaches make tens of millions of dollars.
2: Yeah, it was. I mean, especially in the early days when the early signing period became a thing, you know, I heard a lot of coaches complaining about how just the entire, you know, their entire year schedule was completely shifted because, you know, mm-hmm. now you've got to accommodate for a lot of, you know, half your class or, you know, fourth year class, maybe signing on this early signing day. All right, I got to get after these kids and, you know, now I've got to recruit harder during the season because, you know, there's the potential that, you know, this guy's going to, you know, get recruited harder and go sign here early and I can't get to him till January, so. I feel like yeah, it's the type of thing that probably just put a ton more pressure and stress on coaching staffs during the season, um, and yeah, it probably was not the best change. And it's it's run its course. So That's a couple of years to test it out. You know, it was experimental, and you know they found that it just doesn't work. Which you know is perfectly fine. That's kind of what you want the process to do.
1: Yeah, but but think of well, it's hard to feel bad for these schools, but and I know this is a Missouri podcast. This is crazy, but um. Think of Stanford, think of Vanderbilt, and think of Duke. Since that 2017 season, they have fallen off a cliff and died. Why? Because they recruit smart kids. And not every football player is a super smart kid. And you need to have your grades finalized to get into Stanford, Vanderbilt, and Duke. This has hurt smart kids schools Way more than anybody else because they don't have the luxury of signing kids as many kids early as every other school does. Look at their records since 2017, they have also fallen off a cliff. Yeah. So, this is very harmful to them. Also, just in general, um, <sighs> you can't how do I don't want to say this? You can't have. A schedule like you do when you're in the middle of the season and recruiting is so important and you are you are trying to coach week to week and win the games but you also have to make sure next season's class is all squared away like those visits the calls the texts the campus visits all that sort of stuff this made everything much just incredibly more difficult um and i know coaches have complained about it uh to the point like since 2017-18, there has not been a single coach hired outside of a staff, so like someone that they didn't just promote from within, but actually hired outside, who has made the playoff. If you have fired your coach and you hired somebody from outside your staff, you have not made the playoffs since 2017-2018. Yep. It speaks for itself. It's it's detrimental to the sport. It's detrimental to competition, and I do hope they roll it back soon because again, it's just it's making it tougher for everybody at this point. Mm.
2: Yeah, I think I even I think there was some stat the other day, I believe it was it was something along the lines of like only four or five active head coaches have actually made a playoff appearance or um or maybe <laughs> won a championship. Yeah. One of those two, but it was just something that like yeah, it's just the 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 sport has become so like what have you done for me recently? Like it's just mm-hmm. you know, year in, year out, it's your job is on the line essentially. Yeah which is why all, all the more impressive that like jim harbaugh's held on to his job for all this time because i mean i mean he could have been fired three times Look. Over. but now they've <sighs> they've got a nice product so they've waited it out and proves patience is key
1: i want to say this out loud i can't believe i'm saying it out loud i hope michigan wins the whole thing yeah and the reason i want michigan to win the whole thing just because they're wholesome people wholesome world war ii nerds and, and i love them <laughs> um I hope it's an encouraging story for holding on to your guy. Yeah, Hold on to your guy and let him cook. Because like you said, how many times did they fire Jim Harbaugh over the past five years? Five times? <laughs> Something like that? Like, every single year, it's Harbaugh, Harbaugh sucks, get him out. And if he wins the whole thing this year, hold on to your guy. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, I just... <clears throat> I For him to come back to his alma mater and then, you know, survive the years of you know, GoFundMe's being raised to buy out his contract, <laughs> and memes being made about him being shirtless yeah. and you know yeah. sleeping over at some recruit's house. Like you know, for the weird roller coaster ride it's been, um, <clears throat> for it to come out like this, already making the playoff, I mean, you got to feel good for them because Michigan mm-hmm. has suffered at the hands of the state of Ohio for a very long time. <laughs> and, you know, I you know I I grew up a Tennessee fan. I watch them lose to Florida every year. I feel the similar pain. It it hurts, mm-hmm. um, but. You know, it, it's great for Michigan, and I I legitimately think, um, you know, the semifinals in the past generally have a reputation, and it's just very consistent, of being blowouts. There have not been all that mm-hmm. many competitive semifinals. I think Michigan and Georgia, again, knock on wood, will be a competitive game. I think Michigan playing at their best is arguably the most complete team in the country on both sides of the ball. I think Georgia, what they showed against Alabama, that is not really who they are. I think they're going to come back, and if they do, Get a re- I think they're going to look a lot better against Michigan if they do get a rematch against Bama. I don't think it's that. Um, I think it's a lot closer. But I think mm-hmm. for this game with Michigan, I think they're very evenly matched. I see it being a defensive battle. I don't think either team, you know, Georgia's not going to let Michigan run all over them like they like the Wolverines have um, in the Big Ten this season. You know, I think they're going to make McNamara and um, potentially JJ McCarthy too. You know, make some throws, rightfully so. And it's going to be the same on the other side of the ball. You know, Can Stetson Bennett, you know, not beat us beat us with his legs but you know throw it uh consistently especially with you know Hutchinson and um the name's is escaping me. <clears throat> number 55 on Michigan as well also going to be a first round pick defensive end but uh both of them are going to be really really pesky that game so I I think it's going to be a chess match that's which Harbaugh versus Kirby Smart is going to be one of the better coaching matchups I think we've seen um in quite a while and it's it's probably the game, you know, out of all the bowl games regardless of it being playoff, probably the game I'm most excited about just cuz, you know, it's two historical programs that have been, you know, yeah. you won't say Georgia's been down, but coming from that state, I know that Georgia <laughs> fans are not happy just cuz they've been so close and they have not made. It. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of pressure riding on that game. Um and I, mm-hmm. I, just, I it's going to be really fun. I think it's going to be really fun. Um I believe they're down, they're in the Orange Bowl. Um, yeah. They're, they're down in Florida, so that'll uh Oh, that'll be a good one. They won't be playing in that snowy Michigan weather either, so George sure will not have to worry about that.
1: Are they going to start Bennett, Stetson Bennett, or are they going to go JT Daniels?
2: I, I mean, they're – I don't – I mean, I, I don't think Bennett – I mean, Bennett was really not the problem in that Alabama game for the most part. Um, and I just – I don't think he showed them any reason this year to bench him. JT Daniels, when he has played, especially early in the season, never really looked like the exact same guy that he did last year. Um, And I think they just really like Stetson Bennett's legs right now. I mean, he is just underrated. You know, I I especially learned it in the Mizzou game, but then watching them a couple other times, he he is fast. And he's not the biggest dude, but he, you know, he hurts teams when he scrambles. He also is not afraid to keep on read options. So I just think Kirby Smart probably likes that aspect of it. You know, I don't think, um, you know, he was hoping JT Daniels was going to be that guy that was like, you know, prolific Mm -hmm. passer, you know, Aaron Murray type dude that, you know, could sling it all over with those wide receivers they got. He just hasn't panned out to that. So instead, let's go, let's run the ball. Let's let Stetson Bennett game manage. I think he'll be the starter for this one. Um, but who knows? We could see both of them. Michigan's probably gonna employ a semi two quarterback system. They like to let McCarthy run sometimes Mm -hmm. and also throw because he's he's a really talented kid too. But so I think both sides will probably be mixing some things up. I think there'll be a lot of uh with such an evenly matched game, with the two teams being so similar, I can see a lot of you know trick plays and some, some different tendencies than normal from both the coaching staffs just to try to get some form of an
0: edge. Um, I think we'll mm-hmm. see a lot.
1: Yeah. Well, I think George is going to win it all. Really? What do you think? Wow.
0: All right. Well, that is very, yeah.
1: very
2: bold of you because I don't know many picking them to be honest. Um, I. I'm a, I'm a man that follows trends. Um, I feel very bold calling myself a man you know, 20 years old in college, but um, I follow trends, and I know that year in, year out, and it's, it's cliche, and it sucks. I hate saying it, but Alabama plays the best in these types of games, save for one 2018 matchup against Trevor Lawrence, but that was just a weird game. Um, Alabama plays the best in these games. They're the most prepared. They've got the easiest path. They're not going to be you know, nearly as banged up or you know, tired after their game against Cincinnati. Love you, Cincinnati. I just don't think mm-hmm. it's going to happen, um, as Michigan and Georgia are going to be when they get done with their rock fight over there. I think they're going to come in. It's very hard to beat a team twice. Um, if they can be closer than before, <clears throat> I don't think they'd score as much. If they play Michigan, I think the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. Also, I really like Michigan's Bama. Just because um, that pass rush, you know, as we've seen this season, the only way to stop Bryce Young is to get pressure on him. Because you let him sit back there, he's good enough to pick apart any defense. So I think yeah. that could go well in Michigan's favor. I just don't even without John Mechie, which I think plays a role because defenses can key in more on Jameson Williams. I still just don't see Alabama losing. I, I I actually have Michigan beating Georgia in a close one and going on to play Bama, but I still <laughs> I still like Bama. To oh win wow! Okay, semi comfortably. I don't see them getting into too much trouble in either of their games. But, but, personally, I agree with you. I'd love to see Michigan win it. If I could pick any of them to win it, it would 100% be Cincinnati, because that would be awesome. <laughs> that, would, that, would, I mean, that would cap off, you know. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, and I love saying it this season, that, you know, coming back with the fans, this has been a very 2007-esque season in which it's just upsets crazy teams being good. A lot of teams are down this uh-huh. year. It would be a perfect ending. I just I wouldn't put any money on it if I was you. But you know we, we'll see. It's I think they'll they'll both be very interesting semifinals. I I am very excited to watch both of those on New Year's Eve. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I know I know there's a lot of people that uh, complain about the games being on New Year's Eve as opposed to New Year's Day. I don't really mind too much either way, but I know that's become a big deal in recent years for whatever reason too.
1: If you got family or you got traditions that you do, like it kind of sucks because you know you got. Yeah, things that you you are expected to do, and sometimes you don't want to stay in your house watching football when you can get out, getting drunk with a bunch of people. I don't know, but I I don't particularly mind. Uh, I got two kids, so I stay at home all the time anyway. So like, what else am I going to do? Mm. Um, yeah, fair enough. But uh, no, I get it. I Also, New Year's Day is just kind of tradition because yeah. BCS bowls used to be on New Year's Day. You had the whole slate, so I think a lot of that plays into it too. But um, I don't know if it if it's worth it to you, you're going to make time. I'll, I'll always point that out like if you actually care you're gonna find a way to watch it and that's it so so yeah there's your college football playoff talk from a, your missouri podcast where missouri's not gonna be anywhere close <laughs> in the next couple of years but okay um that's okay that's okay uh but parker man thank you for for sharing your your national college football insights and pitching in at the last okay. second i appreciate it man
2: of course as always i'm more than happy and
1: that's gonna be the show for today as always we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions you can leave a comment you can rate us we love all types of feedback from you guys you can follow us on twitter i'm at nage edwards he is at Gillum underscore underscore perker and of course you can follow the rock Flagship at Rockin' nation we appreciate you tuning in this time we'll try to do better next time and until then stay